It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in another extraordinary week where environmental issues were almost non-existent on the government agenda. There was, however, some good news in that the leader of the opposition did take the chance to announce that Labour would make the UK a clean energy superpower. Let's speak to our man feeling that excitement. He is the green entrepreneur environmentalist, Dale Vince. Dale, good afternoon. Yeah, afternoon, Ian. I'm enjoying the sound of that, actually. Renewable energy superpower, as long as it's not just rhetoric, obviously, because we've heard stuff like that before. Uh, yeah, but the trouble is we don't, oddly, even the Tories, they don't really hide it now, do they? They don't go, oh, we're going to be really good at this. They just don't say anything. <laughs> they don't say anything. <laughs> Bless them. Uh, somebody said to me uh, today, they're like a zombie government. And I thought to myself, I love zombie films, but I'm not enjoying yeah. this one, actually. <laughs> this <laughs> could, on. yeah. I mean, we need a government. Well, you need something that functions. And like, we had a lot of callers today on the, the radio program simply saying, look, you know, if, if apart from anything else, could could Keir Starmer be any worse? The answer is obvious. Uh, no. <laughs> so on that basis alone, he's kind of, I know you shouldn't count your chickens, but he's kind of won the election on that basis yeah, by who he isn't rather than who he is. Yeah, and and actually, uh, you know, that's a that's a change from the uh, the last leader of the Labour Party, you know, who who arguably lost it because of who he was rather than who he was fighting against. As in, that's very as in true, Johnson. that's very true. But I saw today that uh, Keir Starmer said that Labour are already planning for a second term. That's how uh, how serious I don't want to say confident they are. Yeah, and I guess all this stuff is kind of worked out in some way that you know, so, so that they, they instill confidence in the you know the markets and the world and all the rest of it. But mm. yeah, I mean, they've there's some real I hate to use the word momentum, but there is some momentum behind Keir Starmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are behind him, but you know, with, maybe with daggers drawn. Indeed. Uh, let's look at some stories because there's loads to get through here. Europe's biggest bank sued over fossil fuel financing. What the heck's going on here? Yeah, lovely story on uh, on a theme really that we've talked about before a few times. In this case, we've got three activist groups in uh, in Paris taking this huge uh, huge bank BNP Paribas uh, to court, uh, arguing that basically the the loans they're making breach a legally binding duty in France to ensure that they do no harm, uh, yeah. which is a fabulous sounding piece of law. You know, it'd be great if we had that in Britain and. Um, you know, we, we are seeing oil companies and governments around the world increasingly facing legal threats and challenges because of their failure to tackle the climate crisis. I say it's a brilliant thing. Yeah. And as you rightly say, this is seems to be on the increase, which means people are, I guess, you know, once upon a time, any big corporation, there was a sort of an assumption, if you're a big corporation, then you're probably doing all the right things and you're, you know, very sensible and law abiding. And now people are going, hang on, enough of this old shit. You know, it seems <laughs> some of these people have been you know, pulling crafty tricks out the bag for decades. 
Yeah, I mean, the people I hang around with have the exact opposite view. If it's a big corporation, you know it's doing bad things. Yeah, yeah there you go. Here's a, a nice juxtaposition of stories as well, Dale. I feel this, this is rather interesting. I know it's not lost on you. Um, bankers bonus and boiler upgrades. And there's an interesting yeah. correlation in the cost of things here. Yeah, that's right. So a uh, report came out uh, this week that uh, the government's heat pump program, they were planning to spend something like $400 million on uh, replacing uh, boilers with heat pumps as part of the idea for a kind of national heat pump program. Uh, they failed to spend the money. They've spent only a fraction of it. Uh, and that came out first. And, and then beautiful story came out. I think it's Lloyds Bank have just issued... Uh, bonuses to their bankers and it's the same sum of money uh, you know about 450 million set aside to pay a handful of bankers that the government has set aside to pay for a handful of heat pumps <laughs> that's wonderful i mean that is it's incredible isn't it when you put those numbers together it just gives you a bit of context to the the sort of dizzy uh, figures that are involved in all of this yeah how hard are we trying to fight the climate crisis that hard a handful yeah. of bankers get more money this from Ryan on Twitter who says, Dale, what do you make of the new independent regulator for English football? Well, I'm, I'm actually loving it. I, what I'm hoping is that the regulator does have real teeth and actually uses them as well. From my perspective, and I think a lot of other people's, uh, you know, there's, there's a set of fairly simple things to do to make football more sustainable in a number of senses of the word, not least financial, um, you know, by passing more money down through the pyramid, for example, from the Premier League. I hope that they look at uh, wage caps, which we had briefly in the EFL until the players' union scuppered it with a legal challenge. And uh, and I hope they look properly at the, um, you know, the owner's fitness test, because at the moment, the Premier League is dominated by oil states with with awful human rights records. I mean, the Saudis were allowed to buy Newcastle despite having an awful human rights record. I mean, they killed that journalist, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah. And, uh, and I've been they're fighting a seven to 10 year war in uh, in the Yemen, you know, and, and have killed far more people than the Russians in, in Ukraine so far. And yet we kicked Russian money out of Chelsea and we allowed Saudi money to come into the Premier League. Those kinds of things, you know, they, they, they shouldn't be allowed to, uh, to happen. So I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. Um, but then I always am. But the proof of it will be in the doing. Uh, here's a story about the EU failure to reach fossil fuel phase out deal. Uh, this was a meeting of the European foreign ministers this week uh, where they failed to. Well, it, I find it extraordinary because you wouldn't think this would be the work of anything but a few moments to, 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 to organize. But these things are always made more convoluted whenever po uh, politicians are involved. But they failed to lead to the adoption of rules for a phase out of fossil fuels, as European countries argue, over the categorization of nuclear energy as part of that energy transition. So it's that area, Dale, that's confusing them. Is nuclear good or bad, I guess? <laughs> well, I, I'm glad, actually, that the failure was due to something like that because it's a very important issue and i don't think we should categorize nuclear as uh, zero carbon or low carbon and and therefore allow it into the support mechanisms that, that are here and are coming to get us to net zero in the same way that we shouldn't allow gas in but i think yeah. the eu already has allowed gas in uh, but that's uh, you know that's a bad thing so i'm glad that it's failed for that reason and not for some other reason indeed um let's look at supermarkets here um this is an interesting one, isn't it? Are supermarket food shortages a sign of the future? Because uh, I can't make head and tail of this because there seems to be about 78 reasons why I can't <laughs> buy tomatoes in Tesco. Um, one person tells me it's Brexit. Somebody else tells me it's climate change. Somebody else tells me it's because it's too costly to turn on the greenhouses to grow the darn things. What is going on? And is it a sign of the future? 
Well, I, th- I think arguably it's a sign of the future. What I've read is the greenhouse story that uh, greenhouses in Europe, you know, can't afford their energy bills, so they're, yeah. they're growing less. And of course, we're we're on the end of the supply chain for Europe, aren't we? And we, you know, we put ourselves outside of Brexit, so we wouldn't have helped ourselves anyway. I imagine it's a combination of Brexit and the trade barriers and the fact that Europe has less uh, vegetables now anyway, and uh, <laughs> they're not going to want to send them here, are they? But it does offer a, a kind of vision of what a, a you know a, a, a climate impacted climate crisis impacted world could look like. You know where we start to run out of stuff. And you know, I, honestly, I think the last couple of years, I've been to supermarkets a few times, and I've never seen so many empty shelves. It's like become the new normal. And I have to say, one one story, one aspect of this story that I really loved was uh, Therese Coffee. I'm not sure what a rolling government is, but she basically said, "Let them eat." turnips she's, she's saying that britain should learn to love turnips because we've got them and um, we haven't got tomatoes and cucumbers and all this the other is things. your good friend therese coffee of course <laughs> yeah, that's right uh, you use me as a human shield of, <laughs> yeah your <laughs> your moment on the i'm trying to think of what that famous classic movie is that where they're on a railway station and the fog clears and you know suddenly the romantic scene unfolds but it's, you had that moment with her on an escalator, didn't you, really? Yeah, not not that moment, I would say, but a moment. So well, I we, think it was we, a bit like that, Dale. I know you tell the story one way. She tells it a very different way. <laughs> bless. Bless. We were on the escalator, Tory party conference, and... Um, I mean, I didn't know who she was. It was this lady in front of me going up the escalator. And on the opposite escalator, there are a bunch of journos like shouting questions and filming her. And, and as we got off, I tried to move away and she kept hiding behind me. <laughs> That's quite funny. Yeah. I love that we, we met on the escalator. That's the next book. We'll come on to the book in a second, by the way. But turnips, um, right? What kind of thing is that for a government minister to say? Let the, me turn yeah, the ter- yeah, the ter- Why would you go there? Yeah. That's Let right. Let me right. turnips. What an arse. <laughs> uh, this one from Georgie, who says, any plans to be at festivals speaking this summer? Will you and Ian be back at WOMAD? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, the, to the second part of that, will we be back at WOMAD? I, I think we will. I think we're planning that. I think I will be at festivals speaking. I, I did have one planned last year, but I broke my ankle playing football and couldn't get there. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested in the festival sector and in, in the live music and events sector. Uh, increasingly, we're getting involved in that because a lot of these festivals that are, you know, outside of towns and stuff use a lot of diesel. And uh, we're working on plans to help them get on the grid and get on renewable energy. So, yeah, I'm hoping to be at a few. WOMAG was fabulous, wasn't it, last year? Yeah, I really love it. It was really good. And I, I think uh, I think I can speak for you as well on this, Dale. You know, when you do that kind of stuff and you're on a stage, you, the first thing that goes through your mind is, will anyone come? Will, <laughs> will anybody actually be there? Um, and we walked out, didn't we, to uh, – there was already a couple of hundred people there, um, mm. which was fabulous. And then uh, as the – the morning went on that that kind of increased and yeah. the, we we didn't have enough time to take the amount of questions that people wanted to put it was just brilliant it was we must have had 500 people we always get a good crowd there and and a, some brilliant questions i mean i love that part almost the most where you get to have a discussion about like this that and the other it was really a highlight that moment as you say by the end of it there was actually there was probably about seven or eight hundred people there who were just like it was just great questions and a nice day the weather was good everything about it was nice and it's such a good festival as well it's, it's a lovely festival lovely crowd as well the first time i went there was maybe three or four years ago and i felt like i'd come home i felt like i was just surrounded by family the people yeah. there just felt like that indeed uh what about this uh british steel announces 260 job losses at scunthorpe um yeah. now this is interesting 
This yeah, is my it. this is my town of birth, by the way, Dale. Ah, I didn't know that. Born in Sunny Scunny. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, But never good news when you hear this. But, of course, we are talking about an area that has been rarely out of the headlines in the last decade. Yeah, so, I mean, and and not out of our headlines, really, in the last few episodes, because it all began with the Tories' crazy idea of opening a new coal mine in Cumbria, justified on the back of our need for coke to make steel. At the same time, the steel industry, we've only got two companies to make it, said, look, we don't need it, actually. There's plenty in Europe, and we want to move to hydrogen. Just weeks later, the government announced $600 to support the steel industry moving away from the coal they want to dig in Cumbria into hydrogen, which seemed bonkers enough. And now a few more weeks later, and British Steel are laying off a whole shed load of people. And you've got to say, right, this government, have, have they got a clue what's going on? Uh, no, is the answer. <laughs> it was rhetorical, but I like that. Answer. It was, yes. It's, it's always worth an answer on that particular question. Uh, this comes from Andrea, who emailed zero carbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. says, what is your view about Ripple Energy? Do you think part ownership of a wind turbine is a good investment for an individual? Does it help to increase the availability of wind turbines in the UK? Will Ecotricity become an energy partner for Ripple in the future? And will you consider making your green gas mill a cooperative? Well, firstly, Andrea gets a gold star for the longest question (laughs) anyone's ever sent us, but it's a good question. Yeah, the most questions, I would say, because there's a lot of questions in there. There's about 10. You've got 10 in one there, which is a way of avoiding the, uh, the, the wheel, which will spin shortly. So, look, and I, I see this is not necessarily a Ripple question. I, I know what Ripple are, are doing, and, and it's interesting, and they're not the first people to try and uh, encourage community ownership of renewable energy things like solar farms and, uh, and and wind parks and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the idea is nice. And is it a good investment was the first question. I would say it is because it's renewable energy. And so, yes, it is uh, for individuals. Um, you know, I, I like it, but I don't think it's like the answer because it's only available to the people that have money to invest, which necessarily excludes an awful lot of people. So I do prefer public ownership as the way forward. And so when we get a Labour government and we start getting after that last 50% of green energy on the grid we need, uh, you know, I hope that will be built in public ownership so that uh, everybody benefits. And there's no shortage of money waiting to go into renewable energy. So it's not like we need community schemes to find the money to build the stuff. That's not the problem. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to boilers, uh, which is fast becoming one of the most consistent <laughs> points of debate, uh, partly down to the just the shocking ineptitude of this entire scheme. A Lord's Committee says boiler upgrade scheme isn't delivering. Um, I, I mean, just run over, for those who've never heard this before, Dale, the, the, the shortcomings of the boiler. Well, they call it an upgrade. It's not an upgrade, firstly. No, no, it's not an upgrade. I don't think it's even a sideways grade. And we touched upon this earlier with the banking story. So basically, there's a 400-odd million pound pot the government said they would spend on this this idea of, of uh, replacing gas boilers with, with heat pumps, and they're failing. Uh, they've spent a fraction of it, maybe a quarter of it, something like that. But the basic premise behind it is the government's uh, idea that the only way to decarbonize home heating, which is mostly done by gas right now, is to stop using gas, throw away the gas grid, throw away tens of millions of gas boilers and gas cookers, and for everybody to get one of these heat pump things, which cost around about £8,000 each. Uh, to to buy and install. And once you've got them, they'll put up your household energy bill by 50%. 
every year because they're just more expensive to run. You'll get lower temperature heat out of them, particularly in the winter when they're least efficient, when you need it the most. And by the way, nearly 40% of British homes just aren't suitable for a heat pump. I was going to say, so that's that's a big thing. And you'll just have people plugging in fan heaters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the most crazy plan. And I use that word with the inverted commas around it because it's not been thought through. We'll have to generate three times as much renewable electricity if we all had heat pumps as we do if we don't have heat pumps, for example. And the whole plan is going to cost about £300 billion. And as I say, add 50% to the nation's energy bills, which is madness. And the alternative, staring us right in the face, is just to put a different kind of gas into the grid. Green gas made from grass. Yeah. Should we spin the wheel, Dale? Oh, yeah, I love that. But uh, what's, what's on it? So we have a choice of two here. We've got tariffs or football. So I'm going to choose football if I get to choose. Well, let's see what happens. Let's spin it. It's tariffs, Dale. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But we can do the football question afterwards. It's almost as if this is just an excuse to play a silly roulette wheel sound. Perish the thought. Well, you know, we don't condone gambling, right? Not at all. Not for one second. When is your smart export tariff going to be rolled out? Your website has been saying very soon for several months. Yes, it has. Come on, Dale Vince, what's happening here? Well, that means I can't say very soon, right? Um, Yeah, there are two banned words in this answer. I'm going to say end of the summer. We've just completed a really arduous, painful move from one billing system to another. It's taken somewhere between three and four years when we were told it would take 12 months. And that is all but complete in the next couple of weeks. The last few thousand customers get moved onto it, which would just be fantastic. And honestly, it's transformed our back office, our systems and processes, our our level of complaints, our customer service, all that kind of stuff. And with that out of the way, we're getting on the front foot on a whole bunch of things, including a smart export tariff. So it is actually coming soon. You said it, didn't you? I didn't say very. That's true. That's true. Yes, you get still get you get a house point there for, for not saying very. Um, Cambridge students vote for a completely vegan menu. This is another increasing story, isn't it? Where various places, institutions, organisations, workplaces are asked, you know, do you want to vote for this menu or that menu? And you've got meat on there as a choice, and mm. the vegan one is coming out on top again. Mm, it's like that. And I mean, this is a result of a, a campaign group, uh, you know, focused on universities and plant based menus and stuff. And Cambridge students have voted for it, but they don't control the menu. That's the responsibility of the university themselves. But it's going to help, right? Hopefully, the university will listen and they will provide uh, only plant based food at Cambridge Uni. Let's see. Indeed. A uh, quick one here from Scotland, one of the world's first countries to stump up for climate damage, uh, paying money to Malawi. My first thought was the Barnet formula. Uh, actually, that money, uh, it's more money per, than, than we get in uh, the rest of Britain per capita, and it comes from the rest of Britain. So it's a little bit like uh, I look at that story and I think, what is Scotland doing giving this money away? Yeah, But that might be uh, a mean-spirited response. Well, two million pounds uh for loss and damage in the scheme that's a world first and a further five million promise from april so this is i would imagine fairly significant for villages in those areas that have been affected with floods and things yes i would say so fairly significant uh for a small number of people um but a drop in the ocean for the actual impact of the climate crisis around the world you gotta wonder if it's not just a little bit for show actually um could be 
But for the people that benefit from that cash, then it's a good thing. And what the heck is that? It's the book bugle. <laughs> it's returned. <laughs> um, and so it should. Your book, Manifesto, sold brilliantly in hardback. It is returned in paperback. But that's not all. It's not just the back that's changed. Uh, there's new chapters in there, Dale. <laughs> and the front. We've got a new picture <laughs> on the front. We've got a new subtitle. We've got everything's a new, f- new here. What's well, not to a, like? We've got a new foreword from John Robb. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a couple of chapters. Yeah. Fantastic. And there's, it, it's under a fiver, and you can get it from uh, Forest Green Rover's shop, can't you? Yeah, it's actually a tenner, but we're making a special offer for any any of our followers on social media and stuff like that, and football fans of four ninety nine. And uh, we, by the looks of it, with you know pre sales that we can see, we think it might even hit the bestseller list. That's fantastic. Yeah, FGR.co.uk slash shop. FGR.co.uk slash shop is where to go. And we will finish with a football related question. Nice. Um, and I like this because Dylan says. Ah. Should a petrochemical polluter, Jim Radcliffe of Ineos, be allowed to buy Manchester United? It's interesting. You're at, at one end of the scale as the world's first vegan football club, and you've got polluting Pete over there at Old Trafford trying to buy Manchester United. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I was giving some answers to the media on this topic just before I came on air with you, uh, and you know, flagging up the. Uh, the uh, oil state ownership of, of the Premier League. There must be at least three clubs in there now that are owned by uh, oil states with terrible human rights records, like uh, I think we mentioned earlier on the show. I'm not even sure. Saudi Arabia, Newcastle, you know, killing journalists, fighting wars, uh, and that kind of stuff, you know. And so this is a new frontier, right? Should we allow foreign nationals, people that don't pay tax here, and people that are at the root of the climate crisis? Yeah. That's the big story here. Should we allow them to sport wash themselves and their brand and their, their companies and their industry through? the Premier League and I say no we should I totally agree somebody should just say very nice to meet you Jim but f*** off, off. Yeah. I mean <laughs> ser- quite seriously back to Monaco right well, yeah, like yeah go back to Monaco <laughs> cloud there it is <laughs> I think we've upset everybody on this episode Dale that's a good thing right yeah it feels like a good one then all the right people uh, we'll speak next week Dale yeah have Brilliant. a good one. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. You can get in touch at zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. And the really, really important bit is you follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on Instagram and TikTok too. Zero carbon east off.